You're listening to Discography Discussion, episode 156, Strong Arm versus Few Left Standing. Hosted by Dan Terry. And it gives them a very, very epic feel. Chris McCoy. It's hard when I see Joe walking with a limp, though. And Joseph Wren. But then that one guy starts a podcast and starts bitching about it. Presented by DiscussMetal.com. And if you listen hard when two bands enter, both bands break up, and one reunites for Furnace Fest, then you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion. I am Joe, that is Dan, that is Chris. You just couldn't decide which band you really wanted to talk about this week, could you? Here's the thing, let me be honest here. These bands do not have enough albums to justify a full episode. We've done doubleheader episodes before. Usually it's like if a band only has one album versus a band that also only has one album, but we decided to just make it a little bit beefier, a little chunkier, and uh, have two bands that have two albums, and we're gonna, for fun, don't want anybody to get their feelings hurt. It, we're gonna pit the bands together and give our opinions on which band we thought was better and which band had the most growth between the two albums. Are you trying to turn this into an analytical type of podcast? Yes, usually it's just an podcast, but now it's analytical. There's that fucking beep. Who let Jeff in here? Hey, y'all. I didn't mean it like that. (laughs) (laughs) You guys got to get your minds out of the gutter. It's hard when I see Joe walking with a limp, though. I mean, I understand. Totally derailed. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Here's the thing about... You know, we're talking about two Christian bands on this episode, right? We could at least have a little bit of respect for those fans. I really wish I cared about that kind of stuff. Anyway, Strongarm and Few Left Standing are two classic examples of Christian hardcore. And they kind of come from two different eras. You know, Few Left Standing was more in the early 2000s and Strongarm was late 90s. And I thought that it would be a really good pair up because I feel like thematically these bands are very similar but have two very different musical approaches. So is it fair to compare both of them? No, but we're going to do it anyway because I like doing things that are unfair because I'm a mean person. Last week, we talked about Life in Your Way. It would have been unfair to talk about that band's discography and then talk about Hope's Fall and decide which one is better. Thematically, it would have fit. I think with some of these older hardcore bands, metalcore, whatever you want to call it, they get put in the same boat of that band that put out records that were really raw and intense and everybody that listens to hardcore and listens to underground music, it's like their little secret that everybody in their circle knows about. So we are posing the question, if you put them together, which one really pushed their own envelope? I don't think either one of these bands stands out in front of the other one. They're two different sides of the underground hardcore that was going on at that time. Well, I think the best way to handle this is to get into it. We're going to start talking about the bands in order of appearance. So we're going to start with Strongarm. Well, before we start talking about what happens to Chris when he deadlifts, I want to take this time to say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, then you can find everything Discography Discussion at DiscussMetal.com. We're on Spotify. Apple and Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher. So if you have an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, you have no excuse. Ask it to play the latest episode of the Discography Discussion Podcast, and it will. 
We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Be sure to like, favorite, and subscribe. It really helps us out. It lets us know you're listening. And now Dan is going to tell us all about five-star reviews. We love five-star reviews here on Discography Discussion. We love them so much that we read them on the show whenever you leave them. So leave them anywhere that you can leave reviews, anywhere you can listen to podcasts, be that YouTube, Apple Podcasts, anybody that lets you leave a review, leave a review. The other thing that you can do for us that really helps us out is, well, number one, subscribe to our Patreon. But if you don't feel like doing that, you can absolutely share the episodes, then it will help us more than you know. You can share the episodes on Twitter. You can share the episodes on Facebook and Instagram. We got a comment on episode 153, Children of Bodom. BPG on Twitter says, where's Mastodon or Deicide? I mean, they're on the list, if you want to know specifically. Lesser of Two Equals says one thing about I Worship Chaos. I really liked the cover songs, especially Cruel Summer and Danger Zone. I like covers when they make sense. I think one of the best cover albums that exists is Copies, Clones, and Replicants by Powerman 5000 because the band plays the songs essentially the way they're written. If you try to embellish a cover song and turn it into something that it's not, you usually don't end where you want to be. Unless you're Johnny Cash and you sing Hurt, and then the original artist says, it's not my song anymore. See, I disagree with that a little bit because I prefer cover songs to be vastly different than the originals. Because if it's going to sound just like the original, why not just it? Why not just listen to the original? Definitely two schools of thought on it. On YouTube, Satirial Six 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 says, "Nice album of the week, Jeff." Jeff would say, "You're welcome if he was here." <laughs> yeah, good luck in trying to spell all that shit. But he's not. We threw him outside. We brought Chris in. Chris was like, "It's starting to get cold, guys. You guys gonna let me in or not let me in?" Do you like motorboating while headbanging? So Dan, tell me about Strong Arm. Oh, I will love to tell you about Strong Arm. Strong Arm is a Christian hardcore band that started in the very early ninety, like nineteen ninety to ninety one, called Ichthys, and uh, eventually ended up changing their name to Strong Arm after a whole bunch of people left the band. And um, basically, they were one of the very first hardcore bands, or Christian hardcore bands that I had ever heard of. And uh, they were a little bit different. So you had bands like uh, like Focused that were around at the same time. And then uh, Overcome came a little bit later. And those bands were like uh, super, super heavy, super brutal, you know, for the for 90s hardcore anyway. And uh, they'd kind of established a scene which was kind of spearheaded by Focused, who labeled th- this style of music as spirit-filled hardcore. So this was a, uh, this was really cool with Focused being, um, you know, on the West Coast. You had Strongarm who came up out of Florida and uh, what they brought with them was kind of a more melodic approach to this spirit-filled hardcore. So instead of it just being screaming and eating crunches, it was um, very melodic music with kind of more memorable parts thrown in, and then also tons of screaming and crunches. <laughs> and uh, Strong Armor always stood out to me as the more unique out of those bands, out of like Unashamed, Overcome, Focused. Um, you had Zayo, which came out like 95, 96, and uh, I don't think I need to tell you guys any more about Zayo. Bloodshed. Uh, <laughs> Bloodshed, yeah, was another good one. Intermeans. And Intermeans, yeah. Some of those bands were a little bit later, um, but yeah, like I would consider all those bands to be part of that scene. And so Strong Arm's first album was very, well, we'll get into it. 
I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Strongarm is an influential band or that they ripped off other bands. I don't know enough about them to make that claim. What I will tell you is many of the bands I have listened to from 1995, 1996 that sounded like this, they all had that raw, independent recording sound. One guitar is just thrashing their way through it. The other one is playing harmonics and just making noise. It all sounds like it came from the same scene, and Dan would probably tell me that, yes, most of those bands were in the same scene. I would say that a lot of the bands that came after Strongarm definitely were trying to sound like Strongarm, um, especially the more melodic bands. You know, you had two schools of thought, because, like, I consider Focus to be the heavier of the two. And again, I'm using all of this in context of that it was the early 90s. So when I say heavy, you know, some of these bands might just come off sounding like punk bands. Uh, and that's okay. Uh, but whereas a band like Strongarm had like thicker, uh, like Sabbathy style riffs, um, a band like Strongarm was a little bit more more rooted in, in hardcore punk. And so it had kind of that punk rock aesthetic to it with harder vocals. Uh, Strongarm wasn't as, as focused on, no pun intended, heaviness. And uh, they, they focused a lot more on melody and memor- memorability, I guess. If that is memorability a word, it is now. I'm going to let you have that one. Is it really memorable, though? Well, I think everybody talks about it the way that we talk about most origin bands. In the underground hardcore metalcore scene, there are those bands that set the stage for what we eventually got. Based on some of those bands and their early releases, I get the impression Strongarm had something that everybody else decided they wanted to do within the same five years. I'm going to answer your question. Yeah, I do think it is memorable, even on the first album, and I do think that it was very original for the time. Uh, I I really didn't hear a lot of bands out of this scene that sounded like Strongarm, and they ended up becoming kind of my favorite, really. Uh, from that scene because I felt like their songs were more memorable. You know, I mean, I, I love a focused album, you know, here and there. Um, I really do. I think Focused first album, Bow, was incredible, but this is not a uh, podcast about Focused. Uh, but I think what made Strong Arm stick out was their focus on more melody in the music and um, just things that are going to stick in your head and actually be memorable, like actual 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 written parts that stick with that stick in your head whereas i think some of these other bands sometimes it was just too fast and too heavy and it, it all kind of blended together i don't think that strong arms music on either album blends together i disagree with the first record to me that there's not much memorable all the songs just kind of run together for me but that's just my opinion it's more of that general sound of early hardcore metalcore where the band as a whole sounds like what is the next 30 minutes going to sound like? What is this band's set list going to sound like? All the music is being put together to fit together, and it's very clearly influenced by some classic thrash bands like Metallica. I like it because it's that kind of simple. I don't really know how to explain punk bands that sound like thrash bands because thrash came from punk. But now you have bands that basically play slower thrash and scream over the top of it. To me, this is like a different version of thrash metal, almost like groove thrash, if that is a word that I just invented. Well, let's get into it. Let's talk about the first album by Strongarm. 1995, 
Atonement. So Atonement is a record that is very overshadowed by the record that came after it. But I am going to try really hard to defend it because this is the first strong arm album that I ever heard. And so I'm going to take it on its own laurels. I really, really like this album. It's not one of my favorite hardcore albums of all time, but the way that it opens with Division, how it just comes in that kind of goes in uh, and the opening scream kind of like the opening screen really sets it apart. I feel like, I don't know, I just I love the way this record starts off. And um, it's not as heavy as I would like in places, but I think that's just because it's 95. Um, but I, I loved the strength of the vocals. I loved how clear his voice was while still having a very gruff edge to it. And the bass on this record sounds incredible. It's got it's got that nice, smooth, clean bass sound to it. And um, I, I, I almost like the way the bass sounds more than the guitars. Uh, just because 90s guitars were just kind of like they were there. <laughs> 90s guitars um, are my favorite guitars to listen to because it sounds like the combo amp with one microphone in front of it. The mids are scooped out. It just has that box sound. I just love it. I can't really say anything else about it. I think that the what Chris is talking about is that this record is it's very chuggy. It's very basic uh, for what it is. I'm not trying to like shit on the album. Like I, I bought no, the record I, back in the day, and like I still, I don't listen to it very often. I like the record, but as far as like being memorable, it, it just all kind of runs together for me. And I definitely, Strongarm was one of the first bands that kind of introduced me to like. I want to go music. slam dance right now. Yeah. And I, I definitely appreciate his vocals back in the day. Like I could still understand him, but overall, it all kind of going back and listening to it over the last couple of weeks, it just it does all run together for me. And it's not like it's a bad thing because I do like the music itself. It's just. There wasn't, you know, if it was a first-time listen, there wouldn't be nothing really that memorable for me. Uh, and it's not a first-time listen for me. Dude, I've still got the tape, and I've got it on tape and on CD. I don't have a vinyl version, but uh, I do have a vinyl copy of the second album. Yeah. It wasn't but, a first-time uh, listen over the last few weeks because I owned the album back in the day. It just, I'm just no, saying I if know, it was I, a first-time listen now, it'd be, I don't know, it all runs together. It's one of the records that you put on I like when you want to listen to it because of the nostalgia yeah. and because it sounds like a band that's going to go up and play everything I'm about to listen to. Right, and there was a couple year span back in high school when I was doing like the youth group kid thing and like I was eating up all like the Christian hardcore stuff and buying everything I could get my hands on. Yeah, this was I'm going to disagree. I don't think that it runs together, but I also think that unlike a lot of other bands, you really have to pay attention to this one. You got to look down like, oh, which song am I listening to? You know, so maybe by me saying that, like, it's proving your point, you know, <laughs> but um, like, I don't know, like, I like I really love the song like that because I have specific songs on this album that I love. Like, I love Trials. I love Division, mostly just for the intro of that song. Stand Together. And, Oh, stand together is amazing. When they go to that gang vocal together, like that's awesome. <laughs> Count the cost, Ace of Atonement, Innocence Lost, despite the lyrics being a little heavy-handed. Um, and then, you know that was the thing about this about this band too is that they had a very strong Christian stance. You know, we talk about a lot of bands on this podcast that you know they're Christian bands in name only, in the sense that like maybe they're just on a Christian label or whatever, but like their lyrics aren't like overly religious. Um, it's not really the same thing with bands like Strongarm. Uh, this was whenever this scene was just beginning. So these bands had to make a very strong stance. You know, they had to be very bold and open about what they were about. And um, it was considered kind of like a, like almost a church ministry in its, in its own way. And I think that, it, I think that alone will turn people off immediately. Um, 
but it's also, you know, the lyrics are all screamed, so I guess if you don't really like those kind of lyrics, you're not really going to pick up on them. That is the wolf in sheep's clothing of these bands. Everybody's into it because it's loud and it's passionate, but not everybody does what you do. Not everybody sits down and reads the lyrics and says, okay, they're trying to actually say something. Most people say, well, this is okay because they're a Christian band. I gotta say one thing about the lyrics on this record. On the tape, it's fine. I can read through it. All the songs are separated. On the CD version of this, I have a tooth and nail re-release of this album that I picked up at a Christian bookstore like 10 or 15 years ago. And it sounds great, but whenever you fold it out, it's one of those stupid fold-out poster things. Those are annoying. And all the lyrics are just one giant solid block of text. Come on, tooth and nail. Seriously? Do you know how hard it is to follow along the lyrics? And of course, they're like, well, there's only one guy that really does this, so who cares? But then that one guy starts a podcast and starts bitching about it. <laughs> and then blasts you 15 years after, or 25 years after the record came out. You mean you didn't bust oh out the God. red Sharpie and just start making track listings? Oh my God, did this record come out 25 years ago? Yes, it did. Ooh. I know you guys didn't hear that on the podcast, but that was my hair just getting grayer. Oh boy. I think for a 25-year-old album, this is a banger through and through. It's just... Well, we're going to get into it. I love this record. I think that it is a really good debut for the band. However, their next record is so good that you basically almost just forget that this one exists. 1997, The Advent of a Miracle. This is the first record I heard by Strong Arm. Found out about them on the Songs for, songs from the Penalty Box compilation. Songs for the Penalty Box. Yeah, songs when are we going to talk about box? that on Patreon? Anytime you want, man, I'll have to dig up the CD, but I still have it. Ryan gave me one of the compila- one of those compilations, and it had um, Sorrow as a Sage from this album on it, and uh, I was like, oh my god, this is <laughs> this is like a revelation to me, no pun intended. It's just like literally, um, oh, so, incredible. So musically, I think they jumped the hardcore ship a little bit and went more towards the metal side. I would agree with that, especially like when we talked about Shy Halud and how... Shai Halud was mixing, you know, metal riffing with hardcore aesthetics. Very much the same thing with this, because this band, those two bands were pretty in bed with each other uh, anyway during that time. And um, I think what is most notable about this record is that you have quite a few lineup changes. And um, so first of all, their their vocalist, Jason, uh, he left the band before this record came out and uh, they replaced him with their drummer, which was uh, Chris Carbonell. And um, Jason had a really cool voice, but I couldn't imagine him singing on this record. Yeah, it wouldn't match well, but to be honest, like the vocals on this album make this album kind of hard to listen to for me. I can't, I do not like the, the vocals on this record. This one well, has that we turned up the underground production a little too loud. Musically, I like this record a lot better, but yeah, the vocals are hard. It's fun. I stick by yeah. what I said on the last one. Strong Arms, a band I'm going to listen to if I want to listen to classic underground hardcore. But when I listen to it by itself without any pretense, I'm just kind of bored with the onslaught because it doesn't hit hard enough for me to be into it. It's just something that once existed, and I'm only listening to it for nostalgia purposes. I think the previous album is easier to listen to for that reason, but this one is far beyond superior in the musical department. The vocals are just a little trying. I guess I just disagree. I I think the vocals are incredible on this record. Like, I love how hard they go. Like, it is just an absolute onslaught. 
and I love that he sounds like he has like there's more variety in his voice. Like yeah, he screams the the same way through the whole record, which is what I think you guys are getting at. That there's just something about the quality of his voice that if you don't like it, you know, it's gonna. If there's anything you don't like about his voice, well, you're gonna get a whole lot of this record. So if you have any reservations, it's not gonna fix it, you know. But uh, I really like his vocals. I think they sound extremely harsh. And there's actually an interview with Chris Carbonell on the As the Story Grows podcast where he talks about recording the vocals for this album. So get this. Apparently, he had never screamed before in a band, like before before this record. And whenever they were recording this record, he had a really bad cold. In between takes, he was coughing and like hawking loogies like the entire time. I don't know how that affected it because it does not sound like somebody that's sick, but it is. It's an incredible performance for somebody that wasn't feeling well. <laughs> is this the famous story about the Gatorade bottle filled with lung pudding? Yes. Oh, fuck. <laughs> so if you guys go back and listen to the Ask the Story Grows episode on that, he'll go into um, pretty gross detail about it. But that that just blows my mind that, you know, that he had never screamed before, number one, and it sounds really good, at least to me, and that he was sick on top of it. Like, that would just, I mean, just thinking about it makes my throat hurt. And, um, but yeah, let's, let's get into the music, which is the most important part of it. Um, this is on a completely different planet from the first record. This is very technical, very melodic, very emotional. And I think that, you know, it's not, it's not that it's super brutal, but like the vocals make it brutal. <laughs> the brutals, uh, the vocals are very uh, aggressive. That's for sure. Get up on the mic, Chris. Sorry. You're good. Yeah, the vocals are very aggressive for sure. The vocals make this a commodity for me, but as a whole, I'm not really hearing anything that's exaggerated in the music department. This sounds like the previous record where the band is just playing straight thrash punk, but they have a vocalist that's driving the tone a little bit further than the previous. I mean, I think that musically this is, I mean, almost sounds like a different band, which is from what I understand kind of pretty much is. They, they had had quite a few lineup changes uh, between these two records. And uh, I'm just going to say it, to me, this is a perfect record uh, because I, I love the vocal delivery. I love how intense the songs are and just the way the record flows and how they just are able to shove so many different ideas into these little like three minute songs. I mean, the record's pretty much over before you know it. And like, cause usually when I'm listening to it, I'll listen to it two or three times. Cause it only, I mean, it clocks in at just under 29 minutes. And, uh, and that's including, that's including a bonus track. I mean, it just blows my mind. Like Council of Perfection is one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard in this genre. Sorrow is a Sage is one of the most, it's the first strong arm song. Uh, that I heard from this record, and um, that song just blew me away. Like just the way the just the intensity of the vocals. It sounds like there's three guys screaming. It's just uh, oh my goodness. Like there's there's no BS with this record. There's it's not slow. Like it's so melodic that you could probably get away with throwing some cleans in. They didn't do that at all. It's just straight go for the throat. And um, everything sounds really, for lack of a better word, like really epic. Like the riffs have a lot more meaning to them than just being straight just being straight chug uh it reminds me a lot of shy halud's first album which is funny because uh you know they basically came 
you know, from from the exact same scene. And uh, Matt Matt Fox from Shy Halud even played drums with Strong Arm at one point. You know, and so I I have as much love for this record, if not even more, than I do the first Shy Halud record. And you guys already know how much I love that record. Um, I think that the two complement each other really, really well. And um, this is just, I mean, in my opinion, this is essential listening. Uh, if you're if you're just getting into hardcore or even just specifically Christian hardcore, this is probably one of the best Christian hardcore albums ever made, if not the best. And that's not nostalgia talking. Like when I listen to it now, I still get the same vibes. I get hair. I get like the hair on my arm stands up when I listen to this record. Shall we move to few left standing? Well, hold on. I still got three more hours of things to say about the advent of a miracle. <laughs> so Dan. Tell me about Few Left Standing. Well, Few Left Standing. So the narrative's a little bit different on this band. Uh, they are not necessarily a uh, innovator like uh, like Strong Arm was, but uh, I wanted to pit them together against them anyway because reasons. But Few Left Standing, they started in 1998, and uh, they were signed to Take Hold Records, which was uh, Chad Johnson's label. Uh, Chad Johnson also, obviously, putting on Furnace Fest. Please listen to this, Chad. We want to come to Furnace Fest, ask discography discussion, and talk about all the bands. <laughs> uh, one of the bands that's going to be there is going to be Few Left Standing. So, uh, you know, good vibes all around. Uh, their first album, Regeneration Itself, came out in 1999, and it was produced by Bruce Fitzhugh of Living Sacrifice. So there's some uh, there's some straight street cred for you. Their vocal, his vocals are fairly similar to Bruce. I hear it. Definitely. Some of the riffing on this record, too, is very living sacrifice to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they don't have as much of a storied history as uh, as Strongarm does, but uh, if you want to hear more about the history of You Left Standing, you can actually listen to uh, one of the newest episodes of As the Story Grows. Uh, Brian Patton sat down uh, with Chris, their vocalist, and they talked about the history of the band and uh, actually have a really funny story about uh, annoying Bruce from Living Sacrifice while they were recording this record. 1999 regeneration of self i'll swallow your soul i'll swallow your soul i'll swallow your soul (laughs) we're past that move on to the next point (laughs) (laughs) um wow so onslaught doesn't even begin to describe how this record starts off using probably the most popular quote from evil dead where bruce campbell steps on a screaming demon's throat it screams i'll swallow your soul he points the double barrel shotgun at him and, and says, swallow this. And that's where the album starts off. And um, it is just a brutal assault of heavy riffs. And I mean, I definitely wasn't ready for this whenever I first heard it. I love this record. The music on this record is insane. This sounds like a band listened to Strong Arm or listened to Classic Zayo and said, drop D is where it's at. Those new metal ninth chords are where it's at and now we're gonna do what coal chamber does we're just gonna dirge in the fucking d string i like the riffs i like the beef i love the low tune the chug it's right up my alley my only uh problem with this band is it's too much jesus for me lyrically and it's hard it it's just so out there it's like hard to not hear it. I, I, st- I love this record because I love the music on this record, but and I love his vocals. His vocals are harsh. I love the sound of his vocals. It's just the content. Yeah, his vocals are very, 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 um, I don't want to say deep, but it's like, it's a really cool low growl. And I, I love the way it sounds because it, and it sounds painful. Like he's straining his voice uh, just to get the sound out, but like that's what makes it sound so sick, <laughs> you know? And um, yeah, I mean, musically, this is 
very epic riffing on, on the first song. You know, after you get past the onslaught intro, it like kind of slows down and the vocals kick in with the Lord of Filth Rick Pukio. Like it is so powerful. And um everything's just like the way it feels like it should be. You know, like there's there's so much like melodic undertone to some of these songs. And it gives them a very, very epic feel. The only real issue I have with this album is like, I love the riffs. I love the ideas that they have. I love the vocals. I love the drumming. What I don't love as much is some of the vocal patterns seem a little forced. Like whenever he gets to the, I will not conform to your ways anymore. Like it sounds cool, but it also sounds very forced. Like it's almost like these lyrics were written before the songs were written. And he's just trying to force them into the songs. I get that. That is the classic Christian heavy metal, hardcore metalcore mistake. And I'm going to call it a mistake because I've been there. I've heard the message must come before the music. That can be conflicting if you're a musician and you're trying to write based on an idea. It becomes extremely difficult to write the words down first and then format the music to the words. But that is the pressure point that certain lead vocalists have been put in. And this, to me, sounds like another example of that. I don't think it takes away from the music as a whole, but it adds a challenge to the enjoyment of the record. Because if you do vocals incorrectly, they stand out like a sore thumb and it's painful to listen to. I don't think any of it's really bad enough to be painful, but it is very noticeable in places. You know, and I don't really have a problem with it most of the time. But yeah, there are times where it really just kind of stands out. And um, like, especially like in, like in Fruitless, I noticed it the most where he's like screaming on the breakdown and it's just like, pause, pause, pause. It just, it kind of, it kind of slows the song down in a way that's not super enjoyable. But one of the weirdest things about this band is despite how heavy and intense they as they are, they are very melodic at times. Almost ear-splittingly, uh, Tears of a Fallen Man really stands out to me in that it has a beautiful, beautiful melodic intro that's extremely simple. Like, it's just like, um, it's like that high E string, you know, like, it's just, it's nothing at all, but it's so effective. And uh, that that melodic flourish follows out through the whole song. It's a little weird at times hearing him scream that brutally over more melodic stuff, but I mean, I'm, I'm fine with it. The Jesus message on this record is very, very, very out in front and all over the place. And I could see how if you're not into Christian hardcore or you don't share those beliefs, how this is a record where it really is shoved down your throat, <laughs> um, which might be a turnoff to some people and maybe a strength to other people. It's the uh, older first... generation uh, version of For Today. Very much so, yes. Um, and again, you know, Christian hardcore wasn't like that popular yet. So again, they're making a strong stance. This is what you expected Christian hardcore bands to do in the 90s. So when I first heard it, you know, I, I definitely saw it as a good thing. But with there not being a huge lyrical variety, that does kind of turn me off a little bit. Like, I don't I don't personally have a problem with the things that he's saying. Um, but at the same time, it's just so over the top that it it can detract from the it can detract from the record for sure. Two thousand and two, Wormwood. Whew. Wormwood is a insane album. 
I actually don't think it's as heavy as regeneration herself. Like the goal wasn't to just beat you over the head with brutality. Uh, they definitely almost had a more chill approach to their songwriting on this record. And out of the two, I sometimes have trouble deciding which one I like more. I go back to the first record with them, just musically. Musically, the first record is... See, I, I'm conflicted on that because I think that the writing on Wormwood is more complicated. Like, you can tell that they grew as musicians. However, it lacks the punch and the, and the grit that the first album had. But at the same time, the first album also had some really basic songs on it. Like when I was talking about Tears from Her Fallen Man, like that intro, that is the whole song. Like it's 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 a lot of it just seems it seems very basic and that's fine for hardcore. So I did find some cool stuff in Wormwood. Um, the song The Latest Fad is probably my favorite song on Wormwood because they actually throw some clean vocals into it. And uh it sounds really good actually. Um like it it fits in a way I would have never imagined liking Few Left Standing with clean vocals. And other than other than a couple of other songs, they don't really throw them out there that often, uh, which is probably a good thing. But does anybody else think that this record sounds like it was recorded in a broom closet in comparison to the first record? It has a weird sound to it. Yeah, like muffled almost. Like, and it's weird that they would have gone, you know, from ninety from ninety nine to two thousand and two. You'd think that the you'd think that the audio quality would increase, but in fact, it is decreased quite a bit to the point where when I bought these albums. They were both re-released or reissued by Solid State in 2000 and uh, in 2002, and I couldn't figure out which one was the first record. I mean, once you listen to the songwriting, you can kind of tell that obviously Wormwood came second, but from a production standpoint, it sounds like a first album. I can agree with that. To me, this whole discography sounds like a band who mic'd up the room and did the best they could. It's a going theme on this podcast for the past few episodes, but it sounds like we mic'd it up, played our set list, and that was the record. I don't know the motivation behind this sound in 2002 because this album has some leftovers from new metal. The band's trying to be beefy, tuned down. It sounds like they're trying to match the new style of vocals. And there wasn't much thought put into it beyond the actual riffs of the guitar. This one doesn't sound like two guitarists working together. It sounds like one guy had some ideas for songs and they busted out 10 tracks and went in the studio. Well, that's one of my biggest issues with it is it's 13 tracks and I feel like it goes on a little long for what it is. Um, Cause I kept looking at my, cause it'd been, it'd been a few years since I listened to Wormwood all the way through. And uh, while I think that, um, well, I think that the song Wormwood is beautiful and, you know, ends the album really well. At the same time, like, I don't know, like, I feel like this record really starts to lose steam around the ninth, the ninth track. And um, that kind of bugs me because I feel like these songs, while they are more complicated and they are, they do come from a place of, like, musical growth. For whatever reason, man, I just don't think that the songs are as strong on Wormwood as they were on Regeneration of Self. So between the two, this album is okay. This album is okay, whereas the other one could actually be called great, depending on who you ask. I don't feel like either one of these bands are really great. They might be in nostalgia, especially Strong Arm because of the cited influences, but most of this just, I've heard it before. Right, but had you heard it before in 2002? 
Uh, yeah, I'll disagree, Joe. Like when when Strongarm came out, I don't know if you did hear that before. Being 2020, yeah, you've heard it before, but none of us did. None yeah. of us did. Yeah. But that's the problem. I didn't hear Strongarm first. I heard everybody that listened to Strongarm. So when I go back and listen to it, yeah, they're the band that started the idea of what this kind of underground Christian hardcore metalcore was going to sound like. But I don't need to listen to it to appreciate the bands that did that sound better. I'm sure it means something to somebody, but there's not enough to push me forward and really want a new album by Strongarm. Less with Few Left Standing. Wow. Their first record is far beyond better than the second. I listened to these records, and it sounds like the band was going to fizzle out if they didn't just decide to quit. I'm I'm just speechless. I'm having a uh, I'm having a Joshua Toomey <laughs> moment whenever I said some stuff about Pantera that he didn't like. Uh, I, I actually know how he feels now um, because <laughs> I mean, few left standing aside, there, there's no like there's there's no way that Strong Arm like I mean I would I would die right now if Strong Arm put out a new album. Like I mean, their second record you can you can maybe throw away the first one, but their second record is so good I can't even like. I almost can't hear criticism of it, but you know that's not what this podcast is. So, you know we're we're gonna give our we're gonna give our honest opinions. But um, you know I would say I would say with the two together, you know, that, and that's part of the reason that I picked these two bands specifically for this episode was that you've got Strong Arm who starts off with their first record like yeah it's cool it's good it's okay um, and then their second record is is outrageously good and uh, I feel like Few Left Standing is kind of the inverse of that where the first album was really good and then the second album was kind of like oh is this the second album like is this the follow up you know and um, you know as far as my question of which band you know had the most growth between albums you know, I'm gonna give it to Strongarm a hundred percent because they were just leaps and bounds better on their second release than on their first one. Even though the first one would have been okay, like they could have put out another album that sounded like the first record, and we probably wouldn't think of them as like the great band that we think of them as now. But it would have been fine. Whereas with Few Left Standing, there's actually disappointment with the second record. Um, you know, the song, the album's really long. The songs tend to kind of drag on longer than they should. And, uh, you know, with it, it makes sense why Few Left Standing kind of called it a day. But it makes no sense at all why Strongarm didn't continue. Like, I'm sure there's legitimate reasons. Um, and you can probably, if you listen to the other podcasts that have interviews with those members, they'll pretty much tell you why it ended. But... Um, I just could, I just can't understand. Um, I just can't understand how, how a band that got that good could, could call it a day. To answer the question posed at the start of this podcast, Strongarm had the most growth between records. I don't think there's anything I haven't heard other bands do. And the reason for that might be that Strongarm is absent from the scene. They might have left an impression on a large group of core influential bands, but at the end of the day, they're not here. So somebody's going to pick up the torch and take it forward. And a lot of bands did. I don't think this is the kind of episode where we can ask, should you listen to Few Left Standing or should you listen to Strongarm? That's not the question. The question is between these two bands, which are cited consistently and influenced a lot of your favorite bands. Which one had the most growth? I'm going to give that to Strongarm, 100%.
Yeah, I can agree with that. Uh, my own personal feelings is, yeah, obviously Strong Arm is it had displayed the most growth. They're probably the most influential band out of the two. That's not to take away from Few Less Standing. Um, I think what they did was really great. But I also think that, you know, um, they kind of suffered from a lack of forward momentum. And uh, a lot of that has to do with the fact that Christian hardcore just really wasn't that popular of a genre, especially at that time. And um, it was really hard for a lot of these bands to stay relevant and to keep going when they have to work full-time jobs. And, they, you know, the, the fan base isn't enough to support them, unfortunately. But I will say that I think it's really cool that I'm going to get to see Few Left Standing play at Furnace Fest this year. And I'm curious as to which album, yes, yeah, so I'm curious as to the set list of which album they're going to focus on more or if it's just going to be a combination of the two. What do you think, Chris? I think their set list is going to be more of the first record. Blistered Spirit's going to be their closer. Well, I mean, you know, give me, give me my money back if it's not. <laughs> what do you think about the question, though? Uh, about the question, there's de- no doubt it's strong arm. Like, they grew more. I mean, they, in my opinion, they almost jumped genres a little bit from first record to second record. I mean, they still had some hardcore element in the second record, but I just feel like they went more the metal way and just kind of walked away from the, that first record is just straight old classic East Coast kind of sound and hardcore. I don't really hear that as much in the second record. I hear more metal riffing in the in the second record. The second record does have a Hope's Fall type tinge where the melodic metal portion of hardcore was sneaking in, but then the drummer decided, I'm just going to punk rock my way through this whole fucking thing. So you get that blend of the two styles. Dan, what's your album of the week? My album of the week, just to make Joe mad, is Advent of a Miracle by Strongarm. I listened to it on vinyl, I listened to it on CD. It sounds great on both. Chris, what about you? Uh, My album of the week is uh, Unsound Recollections by a band called Sentinels. Uh, out of New Jersey. They're a progressive metal band, kind of genty. Uh, they hit hard. They slam. If you're going to check out a song, check out Deja Vu. Kingdom Days in an Evil Age by Sleeping Giant. Take us out, DFT. Well, this was kind of a different episode for us. If you guys like the Versus episodes where we kind of take a different sort of look at some of these bands, uh, let us know if you enjoyed that. And there's a lot of different ways you can tell us to enjoyed that. You can check us out on Facebook on facebook.com slash discography discussion. You can reach out to us on Twitter at Discuss Metal or at Discuss Metal Dan or Discuss Metal Joe. Send us an email at show at gmail.com or you can join us on our Discord server. There's going to be a link in the show notes that'll take you right to the wonderful world of Discord. And on that note, this has been episode 156 of Discography Discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Visit DiscussMetal.com for all things discography discussion. And please send questions and comments to Show at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one at patreon.com forward slash discuss metal. We have some sweet perks. Straight cash.